And welcome to this free episode of TF. It's, it's the free one. I was getting Ooh, so used to not having business-like free one this time. Just like sort of like mm. having mm. somewhere better to be. It's the free one, pushing uh, out of the way. It's yeah. If you you couldn't tell, listener, Milo was looking at his watch. He was tapping his foot. He was making the come on, come on gesture while saying it was the free one. It mm. is the free one. Yeah, that's Oops. all we can say for sure at this stage of the that's episode. Right. And uh. I am very happy to welcome our guest. It's Amar Singh Dillon, editor at Red Pepper and organizer with the South London Bartenders Network. Amar, how's it going? Incredibly caffeinated, but like fine apart from that, Angel. Thank you. Hmm. Hell uh, yeah. So we've got uh, a, a show today that's going to be, uh, after we're done with the news, of course, um, it's going to be all about uh, the changing nature of the hospitality industry and how in the last few years, uh, Organizers have managed to score some wins uh, in, against a, I would say, quite um, hostile and aggressive uh, uh, workplace. And that's just the patrons, folks. Yeah, hospitality. Don't let the term hospitality mislead you. Those people are inhospitable as fuck as a general rule. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, which I'm, I'm leading us into with a sort of a startup inflected segment, but that's going to come later. Uh, we want to issue the first... Uh, Freebooter of the Year award uh, to former Prime Minister Elizabeth Truss, who has... She's just doing shit now, and she's doing the funniest possible shit. She's going to Taiwan in order to, like, bolster their sort of democratic resistance against the People's Republic of China. The one thing that they needed, the one thing that they were missing, was uh, the scourge of hotel bathrobes herself, Liz Truss. And she, she's just going to be in town. I'm not sure if anyone's even going to take a meeting with her. She's just going to be around. Um, I've, I've had it pointed she, out to me, though, that she is going to be in Taiwan the same weekend. There's a massive BDSM convention. So get a Coincidence? Girl. Yeah, absolutely. I, here's the thing, right? If we can send you and Nate out into the street to do like mm. citizen journalism on the queue I think we can afford to send me to Taiwan to infiltrate a BDSM convention and see what <laughs> I can learn. Well look you know the Australians have been dealing with the supposed Chinese threat by building nuclear subs mm. and so we have sent one nuclear grade sub to Taiwan for their own preparation. I think it's great it's like um it's 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 like a video game exploit, right? Mm. Where if you because she was prime minister for seven weeks and now can just go around starting wars without actually being a prime minister, <laughs> and that's feminism. Perfect. You know? Yeah, she's yeah, girl bossing. Right. She absolutely is, and I I can't wait to see what she gets up to. She's gonna get kicked out of so many hotels. She's gonna go to like one of the semiconductor fabs and get like like lube stains and fingerprints on one of the machines. And, and, you know, possibly start a war with China. I can't wait. Liz trusts at a microchip factory and somehow walks out with 10 branded bathrobes. And they're like, I don't even think we have those. Uh, the rare TSMC <laughs> bathrobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. TSMC bathrobe, copyright, copyright. You yeah, can't yeah, We are not That's selling bathrobes. You're, you're not packaging up like 100 bathrobes. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, 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 it is very amusing, though, that... um. Like being, she's prime minister for seven weeks, mm. and because she was prime minister, 
now just the world is saddled with this bizarre weirdo going around being strange. It's Roman shit. They had a different console every six months, but then they were pro-console for the rest of their life. She literally, she's she's being sent abroad to the provinces. She's on a pro-consular mission. Now it's her time to make all of her money by going to Bithynia mm. and, yeah. you know, stealing exotic silks or well, whatever. She, she's going to go like taunt Odawaker, being like, you're never going to invade. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's uh, going to go and fuck with Mithridates yeah. I mean, every day. One thing I will yeah. say is that this puts the Chinese government in a sort of an awkward position, in that they're sort of obliged diplomatically to treat this as a massive provocation, which requires them to take Liz Truss seriously as an idea. And that's that's really a sort of an awkward position to be in, to be like, how dare you, sort of like rebel province of Taiwan, host Britain's messiest girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> so we are very excited to see um, what kinds of what kind. And, oh, before we move on from Liz Truss as well, just the other fact that like she's making her former employees now at the Foreign Office comment, we do not comment on the travel plans of private citizens. <laughs> yeah, Liz Truss, never heard of her. She never worked here, uh, yeah. never will, you know? Yeah, so, uh, and in, as kind of, um, uh, you know uh, Pigpen from uh, the Peanuts gang, mm. right? He walks around with just a cloud of mess and disorder around him. We have found the institute, the pig pen of the British institutional uh, setup, just walking around, just, just, just messing shit. I, up. I, I, and I you honestly know love her. You know, I yeah. love this for her. Absolutely. I no, mean, on, honestly, honestly, I'd rather that she like spent more time, more time abroad than she was back here. Because if the kink at pride discourse starts with Liz Truss, <laughs> I think I might actually have to do some conversion therapy on myself. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just manifesting something here now. Liz Truss as a puppy girl being led around on a leash by a Met police officer, like that one piece oh. of discourse a few years ago. Uh, yeah. Just, just hold mm. that. Really rotate that in your mm. mind. You know. Wait, how did you get into my hard drive? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I'm moving on, of course, from from our again. No, don't say that we're like, oh, we think she's like unfit for public life because of all this crazy stuff. No, she's the most fit for public life of any of them. <laughs> um, mm. No, so bring uh, her back. Yeah. The also the um, uh, Russell T Davies has owned us again. Um, oh no! Once again, we we have been. Has he released a new Years and Years? Well, no, it's just that stuff from Years and Years <laughs> he's does like released keeps... a new Years and Years like he's sort of like yeah. Bin Laden. You know, it's come to a, yeah. a VHS tape that's been hand-delivered to CNN, you know? Yeah, Russell yeah. T. Davies in Torabora, like, <laughs> waggling a finger at the camera. <laughs> like, I don't like get that. me started about ISIS. That's uh, right, no. yeah. So, uh, another... Because <laughs> I'm running ISIS, and let me tell you, it's a bloody tough job. Some so, of these people are incompetent. So, essentially, what has happened is, as the... um. Part of, of the sort of ongoing, escalating bipartisan consensus that it's important to crack down on um, fully legal asylum seeking and migration in general. Um, a three-story barge, which we used to house migrants, is now being built in Falmouth. And um, again, this is the point of this. Of course, is to be as cruel and uh, inhuman as possible. Yeah, so it, that, it looks uh, it too. Oh, good. Yeah. Like if you if yeah. you've seen this barge, it, it looks mm -hmm. horrific. It's a, a prison hulk. We're going back to sort of like nineteenth yeah. century solutions for these things. A very British response though. When when pictures of it came out, lots of uh, lots of blue check tweets along the lines of, uh, "Oh, this is this place looks better than my house," and. Uh, 
uh, stuff along like the lines of you know this this uh, this looks like a fancy flat in uh, London mm. uh, that they're going to live there for free. So uh, safe to say, British that landlords the, that, catching strays. Yeah, but the British that the British landlords have also been owned by this because somehow even though this monstrosity in the sea looks ugly and is designed to be that way, it also seems to remind them of the luxury of the housing that they charge like shit tons for. Interesting. What is also happening as well, right? Like, cause you, it's almost barely worth, in terms of like the sort of legislative back and forth, right? It's barely worth thinking about what the conservatives will do because they're simply going to do what they're going to do. Yeah, you know? maximum uh, cruelty. But, yeah, but of course, it's always interesting to see the responses from the people who are supposed to be opposing them. And uh, Keir Starmer has said, now, there has been some flip-flopping on this in the last 24 hours since recording, but flip-flopping from Keir Starmer? <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, has said, I, I don't even own flip flops. I find them to be a very, a very silly article of footwear. I <laughs> a solid sandal. When you bring in new legislation, Starmer said, it can often involve sort of dealing with the prede predecessor legislation that there is. It doesn't automatically mean it's necessary to repeal existing legislation in order to introduce your own. When asked if he would repeal, uh, the migrant, the migrant bill. Now you could just say what, yes. You could just yeah. say yes, and it would be a free win. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very unpopular. Uh, and also, again, he what he's being is technically right, but not wanting to say he opposes it because he's worried that uh, you know the, the son or the male or whatever is going to say, mm. uh, you know, so Sir Sir Softy is uh, is soft on migrants and wants to like, you know, uh, bring in bring in more um, you know people to live on your um, terrible boat. Um, when they knighted Mr. Softy, the inventor of the ice cream, <laughs> <laughs> and, right? But the, the, who cares? They say that anyway. It doesn't matter. They say it anyway. Yeah, but also, I mean, it's also fully like what he believes, right? Like mm. the man is just a career racist and cop. Like this yeah. is the same guy who came out saying that he was not opposed to the GPS tagging of criminalized asylum seekers a couple of months ago, right? Like it's not even that he's like bad at politics, which obviously he is. It's also that he's just fully a white supremacist. Like this is fully what he wants to do. It's like Blair 2.0 without the charisma, as so many other people have said before. Mm -hmm. And also, I like the I like that he seems to be articulating the the position that no parliament can bind a future parliament except when it's politically convenient to keep the rightward ratchet moving, at which case one parliament can actually bind them. What are you going to do? Repeal the laws of your... No, come on. That would be ungentlemanly. They worked really hard on those laws. The racism dial only goes one way, unfortunately. Yeah, mm. yeah that's right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, shoddy workmanship, a story of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> British landlords again. It also, it's a... The local conservative MP, the only sort of force against this in in uh, British politics now, appears to be NIMBYism. Yeah, this is uh, really we, weird. Like, any time yeah. they try and do this, any time they try and, like, uh, corral migrants into any kind of substandard housing, whether that's, like, hotels or here, like, prison hulks, it's literally, like, some sort of, like country squire, sort of, like, gentry MP being like, well, I think that would frighten the horses. And it's yeah. like, so, that's the opposition. It's not Keir Starmer, it's that one guy. Great. So, There's only one opposition in the country, and it's actually property prices. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, hang on a minute, where are you going to put this death camp? So, so uh, not the in person who's actually opposing this legislation is Richard Grosvenor Plunkett Ernie Airy Drax. Oh, for fuck's oh, sake. Yeah. Oh, the guy from Moonraker. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> to a cucumber yeah. sandwich. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the villain from Moonraker is to the left of Starmer on the issue, yeah. as of so far. <laughs> M Mr. Starmer, you appear with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season. Um, 
So, you know, it's, um, I mean, this obviously this is going to be more as it comes, right? But the simple fact, right, that this is to the right of anything even proposed in the Tory manifesto, hmm. right, that is just going entirely unopposed by, you know, anyone in, um, anyone wearing red ties sort of shows the, the sort of the, the only thing you can really do is the only thing that actually works, which is going and sitting in front of the police van when they're, or the, when they're trying to, like, kidnap people to put in this thing. Essentially, I mean, there's there's a whole sort of diversity of tactics. Whether that's like whether you're like legal challenges or whatever, but yes, absolutely, it should be untenable to imprison people on the basis of like seeking asylum. I mean, obviously, at the same time as well, I think like uh, I wasn't going to talk about this, but one of the reasons that the kind of outcry over the arrests that happened. Um, over the coronation of our new king um, Mm. over the weekend. One of the reasons that kind of the discourse around that has pissed me off so much is that people talking about how, oh, it's now illegal to protest peacefully in Britain as if that right hasn't always been like heavily mediated by like police discretion on the ground. And so Mm. like, it's true, I think that like the main resistance to like a prison barge, like on the outskirts of like Falmouth or wherever it is, like is going to have to come through like direct action and protest on the streets. At the same time, we have a lot of sensible liberals who are like raising the hue and cry about how now it's impossible to protest. Like if you do that, you make it harder for us actually to take action, which we still can do. You've gotten this sort of like um, the conscience of the Archbishop of Canterbury aroused. No less an establishment figure than that has been standing up in the House of Lords saying like, you know, this is sort of like morally reprehensible. What difference that's going to make? I don't know. But uh, it, it certainly speaks to like how alienated they've managed to make liberals. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the, it, I think the, the calculation, right, is that they, they figured they kind of don't, they, either they figured they kind of don't need liberals, mm. or as what we talked about before is just, you know, the, um, and this sort of actually even plays, it, it plays in some of the local election results as well, right, is that the Tories have decided that they're sort of, they, they've, they're actually tired of winning. Yeah. They've now, their program has run out of road. I actually love being <laughs> suplexed. Um, yeah. and yeah, this sort of like bonfire of the vanities that I'm doing where I'm trying to do like maximum cruelty to as many people as possible on the way out before I'm stopped by someone who like agrees with 99% of my politics. That's actually kind of a victory lap. And you know, in practical terms, they're right about that. It is a victory lap. This is just them sort of like, you know, spiking the football. <laughs> yeah, and the Tories saw that there were no worlds left to conquer, and instead of weeping, they went into a sort of killdozer type situation <laughs> where they're just going to keep making things worse until eventually a SWAT team pries the lid off of their uh, concrete encased bulldozer <laughs> and shoots them in the head. Yeah. So, uh, so the last thing I want to talk about in the news before we go into sort of AI hospitality and, and, and organizing in that sense is an ongoing entry in our series of. Um, trying to solve Britain's problems by using people from the town or otherwise without solving them. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah. So the, we can now add to our long list of uh, just use people from the town solutions, which has included uh, teachers, which is hilarious, uh, border guards, which would be hilarious if it didn't allow for that um, vigilantism to creep into an already quite cruel institution. Uh, staffing the front of house at Joanna Cherry's talk at the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> lest lest yeah. we forget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are now suge- is now being suggested uh, the government plans to fix NHS staffing uh, to let people become doctors without yes! getting a degree. <laughs> yes, I'm so happy about this. One of my big predictions is that 
eventually the government will try and launch a Skillshare course on how to do surgery. And this is coming so, so close to it. I love this when this came out. It's insane. It's chaotic. It's just, yeah, it's perfect. I love it. We can finally have surgery, Baz. Yeah, that's right. I think it's amazing that we've got like the government finally coming down on the great kind of like workerist debate of whether or not there is such a thing as like unskilled or skilled labor. They're saying no, or labor is like entirely skilled the same. And so anyone can do There's it. There's no such thing as skilled labor. <laughs> That's what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> surgery, anyone can do that. Half reading one of those Twitter threads. But like, I, I, I'm really excited by this because I can do like an hour's Zoom call training and finally I can make my parents proud of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's one hour Zoom call, 55 minutes of which is just GDPR stuff. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, don't forget uh, heart, important, brain, important, other stuff, pretty important. <laughs> Go wild. I do, I mean, I also do love the idea of this kind of like precaritizing medicine, I think is one of the most harebrained like things that you would sort of think, but okay, no, they can't do that. They wouldn't do that. Like, you know, with other types of things, accountancy, maybe. Uh, becoming a criminal lawyer, perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people do defend themselves in court and they are genuinely quite funny to listen now to. That's what I call a criminal <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh shit, man. It's, I don't it's, know. it's the you know last actually, bastion yeah. of like middle class, like professionalism left, right? And that's why all of the, the BMA's communications have like, for better and for worse, been like, you expect when you become a doctor that you make like good money and now you don't and isn't that fucked um and now they've gone a step further than that where it's like no actually we don't we don't need doctors anymore you can just like do it based have on vibes have a go <laughs> yeah. chip in have, yeah. a, have have a go well look well last time i went to the dentist she let me play with the drill mm -hmm. a little bit you are um, you are a dentist now so I'm so I'm a dentist now. She let me do that because she forgot to use uh, the numbing agent yeah. uh, for a little bit, and so she was just like, "Don't sue me." And I'm like, "Okay, let me play with the drill." And I got the drill. So now I'm a dentist. Three D chess. Sigma male detected. I think you know. I think the aspect of the economy that this is going to kind of actually impact that no one's talking about is the Indian aunties that are doing matchmaking. Right? If like mm. a doctor is no longer like a discrete signifier yeah, exactly. in the metric yeah, yeah, of an yeah. eligible bachelor, like what the fuck are you meant to do? You're gonna. A lot of people are going to be able to. This man is a YouTuber. <laughs> he has many subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, this is a bit. Actually, I'm very happy. Well, no, I'm. I, I would have been happy in an alternative world where I was single because of all the times <laughs> when I have been. When I, I was rejected. Miserable. When, I, when just... I was. When I was rejected. A brave man when over I was there. rejected for uh, no no what I mean is that when I was rejected on the on the account of uh, being a silly media person right and I wasn't like a doctor like my cousins well fuck them right <laughs> fuck them yeah. to hell so um, I'm gonna add another layer to our sign that says like oil warehouse derivatives trading general house, hospital and, uh, yeah and it was, it, yeah, I can I yeah. can be Doctor House. That's like my dream. I, I actually wanted I wanted to be like Doctor House when I was a teenager. We're, we're all now I get to be everyone gets to be Doctor House. I mean, we yeah, get to be a doctor I, who's I think, rude. I think we should follow this through. Like, like I've got fucking two thirds of a law degree. I'm a barrister now. You're a dentist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
I'm well, a CEO. Yeah. You can be, uh, yeah, you, you can be Dr. House in the sense that you have a medical degree you printed off at your house. <laughs> yeah. Come to my house and I'll do surgery All on you. All of you to assume someone has a house. Yeah, oh, that's very true. Actually, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just like so many things, right? This is just a return to, Vic- to like Victorian and pre-Victorian times when your barber could be like, yeah, I'll cut out your kidney also. <laughs> You'll take a little off the sides and a little off the kidney. We're, we're, bringing, we're bringing back the polymath. I don't want to let a modern barber do my surgery because all they know how to do is fades. What are you gonna are you gonna put a fade on my fucking liver? <laughs> They're gonna put a fade on your dick, Alex. It's gonna, it's gonna taper like a mouse's the bad head. News, the bad news is we couldn't save your father, but the good news is we did give him a fade on his liver. <laughs> yeah. The good news is your father now tapers. <laughs> completely dead on the table, but I have like perfect Turkish haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like the guy from the meme. The <laughs> so, so we are just we are now just using people. I, you know what I think has happened? I think that the British government saw those memes people were doing of the good doctor, and we're like, we have enough neurodivergent people in Britain. Let's let a few of them have a go. Maybe we'll generate a Doogie Howser situation. Yeah, be, being a doctor is when you misgender a trans person over the course of about an hour. And to be fair, this is what this is what the NHS actually believes. That, that is also going to be just another thing, like you know, uh, or you you go in for heart surgery and uh, you end up like. Um, not well. No, that wouldn't work, would it? Yeah. <laughs> no, because no, because they're toughs. So they wouldn't do anything. They would no, refuse. No, no, you, to... you would refuse. Okay, okay, but but you, you would come in. You would come in as part of like gender reassignment, and you would end up with getting the fate. heart surgery you didn't need. No, you end up with the fade, with the fade as yeah. well. <laughs> okay, but like imagine, imagine conversely the liberatory potential here, right? Hmm. Which is that you could get a bunch of trans people suddenly going into healthcare, and suddenly, boom, we have. Uh, we they're have the only a... doc- Yeah, they're the only doctors. N- that, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, detected. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I'm just going to do that. I have to make sure I actually learn how to do the surgery instead of sick fades. But like, I do. Yeah, qualify as a surgeon and do it on yourself like that fucking Norwegian soldier cutting off his face during frostbite. I feel like you unlock an achievement if you like do your own surgery. Yeah. Yeah, then you actually you unlock the same causes belly achievement that Liz Truss unlocked. You can go free boot diplomacy <laughs> after you. I think I do think it's important to say that like, I'm not like necessarily inherently against like new qualifications and new routes into like vocational yeah, like, jobs and sure. stuff. Right, I think that's fine. It's just obviously that's not the fucking reason they're doing it. No. And like, there are a lot of things that are incredibly wrong with the way this is set up right now, right? Like, going into medical school, like, number one, like, the people who are more likely to go to do it and go somewhere, like, prestigious and get through it will have money and are more likely to be white and more likely to be men and all this stuff. And, like, that that stuff should be challenged, but just obliterating the idea <laughs> of that you should have training as a doctor but- so we can, like try and just solve the NHS crisis without spending any money is very amusing. But, th- but this is the problem in and of itself. Like, the serious point in this is that, like, the shortage of doctors isn't because, like, there is a short, like, people don't want to become doctors mm. and they want to become YouTubers and, like, you know, do sick fades. Mm. Uh, there's a shortage of doctors because you need money to train to become a doctor, right? Yeah. And, like, you can sort of argue that maybe, you know, you can sort of, like, shorten those kind of the courses down. Like, you know, that's, I think that's a different argument. But the problem right now is that no one wants to put money 
into actually doing the things. Mm. None of no mm. one the, the Tories don't want to do it. The Labour Party certainly don't want to do it. When all no, the doctors yeah. we do train leave <laughs> so, because like, they can earn better money in almost any and, other Western country. And so like you set up a medical course that's what like vocational, right? You still got to pay for it. <laughs> you still got to pay for it. And the problem is like when you've got like local colleges cutting like funding to do like electrician courses and plumbing courses and stuff. How the fuck are you going to afford to make them into doctors? None mm. of this makes any sense. It's not supposed to. I know it's supposed to just like be content for this show, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. Well, it's that you can what it's what we what we keep seeing in the Britain trying to solve its problems like by moving the pieces around the board, right? We are really trying to. We're not just rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic. We're rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic to try to stop it sinking. <laughs> like, yeah, that's essentially what we're. And it's the same thing with the new um mo- the new this is the last thing we'll talk about. But the same thing with the new mortgage rules or new mortgage that was announced by the Skipton Building Society, allowing people now to take out one hundred percent mortgages. Uh, it's never been tried before, and it's never gone wrong so, before. It's, so. never been, it's never been tried since 2007. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. It's, it's Ma- totally Robbie different. said something about it, but I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you were too focused on the fact that she was in the bad. God damn you, Adam McKay. So I, I, the, the, the vibe of this one is, like, it's very difficult for people to save money to get a deposit on a mortgage, which is true. Therefore, we're going to, like, solve the need for them to do that by just having them sort of bet everything on interest rates not going up which they which they're gonna do so buying a depending on when you buy a house think of it a bit like a, a spin of a, a roulette wheel if you buy a house uh in sort of sort of before the everything bubble started in the early 2000s then what you have done is you have effectively found a broken roulette wheel that always pays out mm. If you buy a house after the everything bubble, like sort of between sort of 2008 and COVID, then you're sort of betting on like red or black, basically, when you're covering zero, right? You're, you're doing pretty well. And also the roulette wheel is still broken. You still make money in the end. Weirdly extended house, roulette yeah. metaphor. Yeah. But what, I, what, what, what 100% mortgage is at a time of high and rising interest rates, because like in the UK, just a, a brief aside, I think it's worth saying this, in the UK... Um, the Bank of England's mandate to fight inflation is just no matter what. But when the, that mandate was set up, they imagined that inflation could only come from underinvestment, not a supply chain crisis, right? And so they're basically trying to—they're trying to use a tool that works when the economy is too good, because there's a supply chain crisis, and these things keep crashing into one another. And it's why, like, like Jerome Powell, in effect, has one of the things is he's been able to actually like kind of get U.S. inflation down by like combination of things like raising interest rates but also like not so many things in the u.s are dependent on gas prices whereas in the uk food prices are also directly correlated with gas prices because electricity is so expensive and so much of our shit is grown in greenhouses it's insane like it's a direct one-to-one relationship so food price inflation is just energy prices but with a scooby-doo mask on basically and and the reason electricity prices are so high is that we have an insane system of energy pricing where electric it's called merit order marginal pricing where and this is going to this is going to like really bake your noodle the price of electricity is set by the price of the least carbon efficient electricity medium generation medium so that means if the price of natural gas goes up the price of wind goes up to match it to incentivize more wind investment which means that you, right now all the wind that we are that we built has created huge windfalls for the people who built it because they sell their power as though they're generating it from gas. So what, oh, great. So what you're saying is... I really like the windfall pun. 
That's mm-hmm. what that, that I was didn't actually clever. make it on purpose. <laughs> so, so, so what you're saying uh, is get, get one of these 100% mortgages and give a bank all of your money. That is financial advice, yes. Yeah, take out one of these 100% mortgages on a wind farm. <laughs> that actually is a pretty yeah, good no, idea. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Copyright. Look, you got to you got to play you got to play the cards you're yeah, dealt. Yeah, no, d- 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 diversify your portfolio. Then use that house, use the first floor as like as a, an operating theater and the <laughs> yeah. second floor as a legal office. Mm. Uh, yeah, and both lawyers are also a barber. The lawyer is also a barber. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a downstairs barber and an upstairs barber. Yeah, yeah. yeah podcasting um, studio at the top of the wind turbine. Uh, that's yeah. right. Also a barber. I mean, also it, a barber. It, it, yeah. it, so yeah. the, the the branding of this makes me very angry though, because the idea is essentially you're going to take all of these people's money and new houses back the moment interest rates go up again, which they will do very shortly. But the branding of this is like, aren't we kind for like helping people to get on the housing ladder? Yeah, well, you know why they're doing it, right? Is they're doing it because, A, in order to try to solve the no one in Britain has anywhere to live problem, again, rather than just doing the thing that will work but is ideologically unpalatable, we're just continuing to rearrange the deck chairs in the Titanic being like, what if this exact market credit setup solves the problem? And so by loosening all the, a, a lot of rules on what kinds of mortgages people can get, all it took was skipped in building society saying, hey, wait a minute. I noticed that in a difficult housing market, applications are down. So maybe what we should do is just bring more borrowers in so we can keep, we can be the first movers on this very dangerous product, uh, get a lot of people borrowing from us, and then we're just going to get a lot of customers. And then if interest rates go up, which if energy prices don't fall, they probably will, um, then uh, you know these people are going to be stuck in negative equity after two years, cool. basically. And you know, and it what it essentially means, right? Is yeah, it's you you'll be is that it's that the most the the people on the precipice of being able to get onto the housing ladder, they've been welcomed onto the ladder, but the step that they've been put on is uh, it's been eaten by termites, essentially. You know, and so it, once again, it's like the 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 shit rolls downhill, right? Like the uh, this new innovation is going to just dangles hope in front of people and for some people it might work but a lot of other people are probably going to get fucked shit rolls down the spiral staircase of my wind turbine which i've recently yeah. purchased this is very funny uh, <laughs> and i'm one, lording it over all i survey one one expert uh talked to about this said the lenders were interested in volume rather than quality but noted the world is different as that it was in 2007 mm, uh, it's worse <laughs> <laughs> And this will work so long as 100% loan value mortgages are, quote, always underwritten sensibly, which I remember was the thing that saved us in 2007 from having an era-defining recession. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I just think we should go back to strippers buying four or five investment properties in South Florida. I think it's time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a documentary. Anyway, that's enough about not hospitality. I want to talk about hospitality. So I can't imagine uh, the Ivy House... Uh, necessarily uh, making investments in uh, this level of automation as an early mover. But in the US and among like lots of quick service restaurant chains like in, in the UK as well, there is, as we, as we remembered in, um, we've talked about in this show before, right? Like the la- every recession, jobs get, like labor gets replaced by capital and the jobs don't come back. The emblem of the last recession is the kiosks in McDonald's, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. In this, so now, this, another wave of that is coming. Oh, what's going to be replaced is, by a kiosk now? Yeah. Well. Oh, no. Is it podcasters? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, oh no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> choose your own riff. Like, it's like a soundboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I'll have the uh, Starmer impression, a reference to a new savory vape flavor. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, while I was in Italy, uh, I, d- I thought of a new savory vape flavor, which okay. is raw prawn and pistachio. Ugh. Oh, It's really good. <laughs> no, you can't have fish in a vape. That's just perverse. <laughs> the fish yeah. vape suffuses your lungs. I think, I think, no, I think you lungs. could get, like... I think you get like a smoked salmon vape. I think that could be nice. <laughs> this is yeah, this is anyway, what gives you like yeah. the Innsmouth look. You can't have a fish vape. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So what we're looking at in in the states, of course, is that new wave of AI, quote unquote, enabled mm. automation. Um, and I think this is like the idea that the hospitality jobs are about to be under fire again. Underscores the importance of actually organizing some of these people. Yeah, fully. I mean, like to be. A wanker about it for a minute like what we're seeing in our hospitality is kind of what happened to like production um in the states in particular like about 100 years ago right so you had like the tailorization of labor which is kind of like splitting up like jobs into like quite discrete um quote-unquote descaled bits of work and then like fordism which kind of arranges that into like an assembly line um and it's been quite difficult until relatively recently to like be able to do that in customer service, right? Because it relies so much on having like a human face because people are really fucking lonely. Um, and so they actually, people go to McDonald's to talk to people a lot of the time, right? Or to get mm. into like fistfights. Um, yeah. It's, it's but, both equal forms of social interaction, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, right? I mean, like the class empowers itself as it sees fit. Um, but we see like this this kind of onset of automation, like it, it, it's already, it's already been the case for quite a while. So you've got the kiosks and stuff at like McDonald's, but you've also got like the behind the scenes automa- automation. Greg's, for example, uses an automated like key performance indicator where like staff have to put in certain inputs. And if there's not like certain outcomes met, you get automatic, you automatically get like a strike that has an impact on like, um, your job security on how you're disciplined so that automation in the background has already been happening so in lots of ways it's not new and like you can see like the encroachment even of like cctv cameras and surveillance like in uh in hospitality sites has been coming down the road for a long time so like i think this kind of what we're talking about here i can't remember the name of the ai thing what's what's it called uh so what we're talking about uh, the example of ai is uh white castle in the states That's it. uh is introducing has introduced several machines that are rolling out to more stores uh, Flippy Two, Flippy uh, Two, Flippy Two. Well, it flips the burgers. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And then sure. uh, Julia, which mm. takes and processes orders. It's less descriptive. There's, than a, there's a sort of a Flippy cultural two. import here because, like, Harold and Kumar can't get served by Flippy mm. Two and Julia. That's uh, it. Really undercuts the whole yeah. movie. Well, because they only went to White Castle because they were lonely. I, yeah. Well, basically, yeah. That that yeah. was what happened. Yes. For a fist yeah. fight. <laughs> yeah, so, they, did get, they did get into a fight at the White Castle, kind of. Yeah, so yeah. actually proud to be British. Amar, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were saying? Uh, I don't know, my brain's gone a different place now. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, it's obviously, like, quote-unquote scary to see, like, that onset of automation even further in hospitality. Um, but hospitality is already, like, incredibly precarious, right? Like, the vast majority of people in hospitality, like, will never have signed a contract. They'll be on de facto zero hours contracts like employers routinely violate employment law often like without even knowing about it right and so like when you start like trying to organize within your own workplace or talk to other workers in the hospitality industry like when we started like teaching ourselves employment law we were quite shocked by what we found about just the level of shit that was just straight up illegal that we had absolutely no idea about right um and alongside that it's also the fact that like a lot of people work in hospitality like a like 
most of us don't see it as a career, right? Like I'm going to be working like my last shift at the pub, like RIP. I'm going to miss it so much. Like I do actually really enjoy the work. Um, but like the truth is for a lot of people, that's not the vocation, right? The goal isn't mm. to stay in hospitality forever. Um, but so in the short term, while people are doing that, while they're going to become like really famous musicians or like really well-paid screenwriters or like really successful guys doing podcasts, like there's a lot of us will like happily trade in like the alcohol that you can either steal or like some supervisors or managers will give to you, the coke that the security guards will like confiscate and dish out to you. Like people will like happily take that as like a fine trade-off for like mm. secure employment and good pay. Because the minute you try to get people to start like organizing around the workplace, in lots of cases, it feels like an acceptance that like, oh shit, like this is actually like a yeah, defining exactly. yeah. part of what I do and who I am. Mm. It's not a side and hustle anymore. Yeah. And that, and you know, it's all of these things. I think are are happening as we say in the in the face of another automation wave. And I, I think this so this article from QSR. So I, again, I I sometimes like like to say sort of how I sort of look at the stuff. You read trade publications, and this most weird stuff gets written. This is from Quick Service Restaurant Quarterly. <laughs> oh, I love that. I always pick it up when I'm having a long train ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you they do good quizzes. They do. They do. The crossword in there is fantastic. So, um, roughly three years ago, the venerable brand began exploring two initiatives better suited to the Jetsons than a fast food original player. Oh, was it divorce? <laughs> One was what's become a highly publicized partnership with Miso Robotics and Flippy 2, which essentially takes over the fire station. The other mm -hmm. was the deal with MasterCard and the drive through AI, Ju Julia, which takes and processes orders with customers every time they cross a loop detector. Also, it's weird they gave uh, the fry the fry cook a male gendered name Flippy too, but the, uh, the order processor a female <laughs> yeah, gendered name. Curious, Julia. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's got to be sexy when you're yeah. having an order taken. <laughs> so you don't, you don't want a robot dude. What are you gay? I Come on. Yeah, not even AI can escape the gender division of labor. Unfortunately, yeah. no, so, absolutely. Not. Uh, Susan Carroll Boser, White Castle CIO, had an idea. AI and robotics aren't there to replace hospitality, rather tools designed to amplify guest satisfaction for a new age of running restaurants and, quote, create memories. They uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I guess any activity technically creates memories apart from, like, doing GHB. <laughs> really like sleeping in, in this case predictable memories like uh, no, no one will ever, like jenny will never go like the extra mile for you or like be kind to you or nice to you in a way that like Gen an actual jenny will never might. be it's, yeah it's it is julia julia, julia will never be impressed that you got really high went on a very long road trip rode a cheetah who was also high uh <laughs> did surgery did surgery on a guy without being a doctor it all comes back did surgery it was have legal. It was in the UK. Have sex with someone else's wife. Uh, yeah. You know, Julia, Ju Julia, uh, Julia won't appreciate that. No. <laughs> right? And I feel like that's what the magic's really got in all of this. Uh, mm. so, and this is, I think, is, is the nut graph of the article. Um, White Castle was drawn to this technology for reasons touted by industry peers. Let's call it what it is, uh, he says. We are struggling to get enough labor on the floor, so Julia is not taking a job from anyone. But that really means, right... You're not paying enough is... to keep labor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, it's so fucking laughable, isn't it? Like, obviously, it's not that there are not jobs. It's that you're not fucking paying people like a living wage, right? Like everyone is on poverty wages. And in particular, I think what's interesting is that so many people, a lot of people are putting this down to like furlough, right? Mm. And down to the fact that like people have been furloughed and then realize actually like fuck this shit, like I deserve a better quality of life. 
The truth is, actually, for a lot of hospitality workers, people didn't get furloughed yeah, exactly. in loads of cases, yeah. right? Like um, some of the workers that I was organizing with, like during the pandemic, which is when we set up like South London Bartenders Network, they were designated freelance workers precisely so the company could get out of like um, doing furlough because they would have incurred costs through doing that, right? With like NI payments and whatever uh, and like similarly like loads of people who were working in hospitality at the time like suddenly their pay slips were changed so like extant holiday pay wasn't calculated um so i think there is like a kind of like in some sense there is a shift that, that people are like actually we can't we're not putting up with this anymore but i think it's more material i think it's more that actually like so many people are so much worse off that like going to work and earning like eight pound 40 an hour like i did in my first bar job for example like just simply like doesn't pay and people aren't gonna like sacrifice every ounce of dignity like serving a fucking hamburger mm. to a karen right yeah and i don't know what like i don't know what um kind of hospitality and like pubs and restaurants are but i know of like friends who kind have similar situations in like different places where they kind of uh, in in jobs where like maybe a decade ago they would have been taken on as like a member of staff or at least like someone with a contract like their contracts, like so, all their their sort of agreements changed to become freelancers, and as like and as those agreements changed, also the demands placed on them would increase as part of like the right to sort of work there, right? So in the case of like working in a gym, for example, uh, they went from kind of being like personal trainers or like people who kind of just worked on the on like the floors of a gym to oh, if you actually want the right to work here, you have to sort of take on duties that were the duties of cleaning staff who they let go in part or they've cut down quite a lot and i wondered whether like You've is it a similar a gym si surgeon now as well <laughs> exactly yeah so is it like a similar situation there where it's just like you know the you're not only sort of like on precarious conditions to begin with but you almost have like to, for the right to actually earn a measly like income you end up having to take on more responsibilities literally because you're sort of coerced into doing it i mean i think i think that is true but like i also don't think it's new right so like back when I think it was like 2017, 2018, there was the McStrike campaign, right? Mm. Which like I wasn't involved in, but I was kind of peripherally involved in because we, we we went on strike at a similar time. Um, and when I was talking to like other young hospitality workers, like Greg's workers, TGI Friday's workers, McDonald's workers, like Weatherspoon's workers, like everyone was saying the same thing, which is that like, no one was paid quite enough to actually live on. Everyone was expected last minute to take on shifts that they mm. shouldn't have. Everyone was expected if necessary to work you know, in a lot of cases, more than the European Working Time Directive without signing an opt-out, which was illegal. But the reason that they could rely on that is basically solidarity in the workplace, right? Like you would step up for your co-worker if they really couldn't do something, if they were ill, yeah. rather than having like a, a well-staffed like front of house, for example. So like, it's kind of always been that way in lots of ways. My, my, my really quickly, my question also is like, in terms of new shit, what about both Brexit and COVID, uh, a, a thing that we did to ourselves, and then uh, like just dumb luck uh, that like service workers were more exposed to than pretty much anyone. Yeah, and I mean that's 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 kind of why like our organising, like you know, which we'd been in like South London, we've been talking about the idea for a while, but it really it had to happen during the pandemic because like we suddenly realised that we were like at risk, and there are cases you know that I know and that I was working with of people who like couldn't see their families for six months because mm. they hadn't been furloughed and the places they were working at, um, in particular, this was true of breweries, uh, said, okay, well, we can't put you on the bar, but we are going to give you some hours working because you're freelance 
um, where you can either be like canning beers or you can be like on a bike um, or like on a scooter delivering them. And there wasn't any kind of promise of a number of hours that people would be working for that. It certainly wasn't matching up to the actual wages that they would have been owed through furlough. But it did mean that people couldn't see their families for six months. There was an intensification of surveillance that went alongside that. So when stuff started to open up as well, when some places actually had more staff than they needed doing shorter hours, they were able just to get rid of a whole load of people, either through disciplining them or just because they they were on zero hours, they'd never been promised anything in the first place. Um, What's really interesting though, since kind of like, you know, Brexit and like the pandemic is that um, the hospitality sector is struggling for like other reasons anyway, right? So like the... um, increase in like uh, energy prices and supply chain stuff is having you probably will have noticed this right like it's becoming more common to find a six pound pint of beer in just like a regular pub right and that's because yeah, brewing yeah. is like a really energy intensive process right but when people say that that's the reason why we can't pay more than this we can only pay you a certain amount that's what people are saying before the energy crisis or that's what people are saying before the pandemic that's what they said before Brexit. Like, there's never been a time where people have been like, oh, you know what? Actually, now we can pay you a living wage. Mm. <laughs> and mm. the funny thing is about the living wage is that uh, going back to, to White Castle, which uh, I'm aware we're having a transatlantic comparative discussion, but these dynamics are similar, even if there is less capital investment in the UK because the government seems to act- actively discourage its own ideology. Is that uh, so? Flippy Two is offered as a robot as a service subscription model. So just like uh, employment is a human as a, subscri- a service subscription model. Um, I really Flippy hate Two, that. <laughs> yeah, isn't it fun? Uh, so it's three thousand dollars a month, which again, like that's <laughs> Jesus. That's that's mo- and they say yes, that's more than you'd have to pay someone on fifteen dollars an hour. Uh, but yeah. you can stay open substantially for, more. Yeah, you can stay open for longer. It, it doesn't organize. Uh, it, it doesn't complain. It, uh, yep. it, it certainly doesn't unionize. Like mm-hmm. precisely. It, yeah, exactly. I think. I mean, what they're actually fighting against there is like the fact that if you treat your workers like shit, we will take stuff back, right? Mm. So, like before I worked at the Ivy House, um, when I was working at like quite a shitty bar in Brixton, like they paid us so little, they treated us like absolute scum, and it was like hard. It was the closest thing I've done to like physical labour. I was a bar back, and the absence of an E is very important there. I was a bar back, <laughs> and I would have to like you know like carry crates and crates of beer, be changing kegs. That was like fight. There was like a club, four bars, and several food carts like on one site. Um, and so what I would do was just steal like as much booze as I could uh, and like even like go in and like steal chips as they were making them mm-hmm. right for customers because that's what you do like Julia is not going to do that direct shit. action baby <laughs> yeah well, no, interestingly right it, what's it QSR magazine it's not quarterly it's monthly QSR magazine addresses this directly as well saying one of the other advantages is that that you can chip. is that you can control portion sizes centrally <laughs> and what's implied there is no one's gonna grab a little burger mm. when they're hungry because mm. Julia and Flippy too uh, don't need don't have any don't, don't have any kind of human desires they are automatable. Well, they've seen that tweet of the guy who used to work at McDonald's who was like, I'll level with you whenever someone ordered 20 nuggets. I was not counting that shit. I was stuffing as many in there as would fit in the box. (laughs) uh, And that is solidarity. And and the other thing here, right, is that um, that hospitality employment, generally speaking, the way it's structured is that it is a combination of of customer interaction but also, you know, as we've been talking about, like actually making the thing, carrying the thing, you have to start and stop many different tasks at once. And what, one of the things that these people are touting as a solution to this from, from Julia and Flippy is that 
you never have to take an order, go make the drink, give the person the drink, et cetera, et cetera, which allows for a higher throughput of orders. But what that means, right, is remember, when we talk, when we look back at something like, um, like uh, the steam loom, right? That, I'm always looking at the steam loom. <laughs> I love looking at a steam loom. One of our favorite activities, yeah. Yeah. Why? Well, if you're not looking at it, you're not going to be able to tell the children where to put their hands in to get the stuff out of it. <laughs> yeah, I had to right. grind for this view, and the view is a steam loom. Yeah, yeah the, the, the trash future steam looming manufacturing. <laughs> also, doctor's office, NFT, <laughs> NFT yeah, storage warehouse. shop. Yeah. The, the steam from the loom powers the wind turbine, yeah. right? Get, yeah. Getting yeah. a sick freight so, off of a jet of steam. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people talk about going to the hairdresser for a weave, but not in the way that we've come no, up that, with. That, that's an efficient way, you know, instead of doing a hot towel, you could go into the steam room, but also and just be careful because someone might be doing surgery in there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. anyway, but we think about the steam loom, right? One of the things that drove the Industrial Revolution, which kicked off a lot of these processes that are currently drowning the world in a toxic gas. Hmm. Um, Child was, labor. Was the fa- well, yes, but was the fact that once you improve the throughput of one part of the production line, that every other part of the whole value chain has to improve to catch up, including things like logistics. And so all of a sudden you invent the steam loom. It becomes necessary to massively improve your efficiency of, say, picking and shipping cotton, of processing it, of creating the shirts and so on and so on. These logics are self-reinforcing. And they say outright, one of the great things about Julia is that she never stops taking orders ever, which can massively intensify either the work that the humans are going to have to do in the White Castle or it's going to basically make it necessary to replace them all with flippies. Yeah, exactly. And this is something, you know, that like I've seen like in the past, like talking to Greg's workers, where like the way that a lot of these systems work is that they will work by like the most productive um, kind of rate at which things can be done, right? So like what, what was happening in Greg's is workers were being effectively punished because if they managed to do all, all of the tasks they had to do at the insane rate and the understaffing at which, you know, um, they were told to do it. And this this includes, for example, like when Greg started opening earlier. So you had like two runs of breakfast, right? You had to make like double the amount of foods. Um, but you kind of were doing it with like less staff. If you managed to do that once, that then became the norm that you were expected to uphold. And if you failed to do that, then that was like one strike against you. So it's 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 a strategy, a direct strategy of trying to like increase precarity as like a very psychological thing as well, as much as, much as it is a material problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that so if you look at this as a whole, right, and again, not specifically about White Castle, but about the way the hospitality industry works and specifically how it uses technology, it is all behind all of the AI, the shiny promises of AI that talk of the Jetsons future. What actually you're looking at is increased surveillance and control, increased precarization, even though what they always say, they always say this. And it's in the, the article actually talks out of both sides of its mouth, right? It says, oh, we're not trying to lose anybody. In fact, we can't hire enough people. We just don't want to pay them more. Um, what we're going to do is redeploy everyone so that they can be creating memories with the customers of White Castle. <laughs> um, what memory? Like, have you like been to a McDonald's like where they do the mission? Like, the staff are just kind of stopping people fighting and cleaning mm. sick and like... That's but, it. But like, I mean, that's... I, I, think I don't remember. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, if you have, if you see like a pretty sick fight... Kevin, then, like, you're being redeployed to jack off the customers. <laughs> <laughs> so, trying to create memories here. Right. So in fact, right. Uh, it's, oh, sorry. It's uh, creating um, memorable moments. Sorry, is what it's called. Uh, but they, they say, right. They say in a lot of its stores, White Castle has gone from having two employees because its fryer line is split. Sandwich goes one way, sides go another. To now we're all food heads in the same direction. Then they take that second employee and repurpose them, quote unquote. Say, get them in a window to help make a favorable impression, but um, 
But White Castle's fryer has now become a bottleneck. You have to be an octopus to run the thing, or you just have to be flippy too now. But the other thing is what's happening in America and also in the UK actually as well is do you know what the social service of last resort is? Fast food restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, th- this is completely true. Uh, but it's also true of like, you know, like, and this is quite specifically more British thing, like yeah. pubs, right? Like pubs are some of the few spaces um, that people can access as like social spaces, right? Like there's a real sense that like the pub is like a great British institution mm-hmm. that is also like doing God's work, whereas previously people might go to like, you know, churches, for example, like with the decline of like organized religion like in Britain to a great extent, like pubs sort of weirdly fulfill that function, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting um, that they're talking about redeploying people to more front-facing roles because the truth is that whether you're working in fast food or you're working in like pubs or bars, a big part of the work that you have to do is actually like conflict de-escalation, right? Mm. Like I've been working in hospitality sites when people have come with like concealed weapons. I've been working when there's been domestic violence incidents. I've been working when police have come. I've been working when there's been sexual assault. I've been working when like people have been like getting into fist fights. My colleagues have been working when there's been stabbings. Like, De-escalation is such a massive part of what we do, but it's not in any job description, right? Mm-hmm. When you're applying for a job at a bar, no one says, do you know how to de-escalate? Do you know? Yeah, no one's like doing like HEFAT training or like, you know, no. showing you how to like do a tur- like use a tourniquet and stuff. No, <laughs> e- exactly, right? Um, and they should. Like, you know, <laughs> like I've seen some like, when we had the old place and like when we were in the old place in Whitechapel, that the pub like near, but I, I, everyone knows, you know oh, the pub. the talking. geezer pub, yeah. yeah no, yeah, yeah. I remember like they had like fucking like glass bottle fight in the middle of the day. Um, and like one of the guys who works at the pub had to come out and like, like cover the wound until the ambulance came. You, you fully need the like thin blue line flags that cops have, but it's a bar instead of a thin blue line because mm-hmm. like there's more like, entitlement to for sure. Like the thin mahogany line, the thin the mahogany thin line, line. <laughs> order yeah. and chaos. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, oftentimes that is the bartender, right? How the bartender responds to something can Mm. either lead to something escalating with like fatal consequences or not, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do sometimes think that like whenever people like, whenever there's like a a social problem in this country and the immediate answer is uh, uh, call in the army. It's like, no, you should just like call in like pub workers and people (laughs) work at McDonald's and stuff. They'd probably like be better. They would be better at doing it and managing it. Mm. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a really important point, right? Like, because what you've, what you've alighted on there is that like, there are so many like kind of hidden skills, I suppose, that you have to utilize in hospitality from like management to like de-escalation, um, all of this stuff that actually means that hospitality workers, while being in one of the worst sectors for union organizing, potentially some of the best place to actually do that organizing work, right? Yeah, like, exactly. We've already spent, like, I don't know how long I've spent like counseling people through divorces and bereavements and like yeah. difficult relationships and like... To, you know talking to people about their own problems like we're yeah. sorry about the pre-show chat you know it's <laughs> it can be a bit of a down <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, well in fact this is in in your own writing you've described uh this as leaving white castle behind mm-hmm. for a sec you've described this as being a kind of avon lady for socialism behind the bar as it's kind mm-hmm. of that, that's the organizing potential oh of it's a pyramid industry. scheme <laughs> oh yeah of course of course um i I should say actually, so like that that piece of referencing, which is from like notes from below, was collectively written by about thirty bartenders, right? So I can't personally take uh, claim that one, but yeah, uh, one of, one of my comrades, who's like um, had been working in hospitality for a long time, was like, one of the difficulties of trying to unionize hospitality workers is that if every time you go through a post work piss up, you're trying to talk to someone about a union, you do become the Avon lady for socialism, <laughs> and you kind of come across as a bit weird. But I think that's why like the 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 reason that kind of we were able to get off the ground with organizing 
is came out of the fact that we were working in the pub at the time, right? Like mm. you can't really have, I don't think, an effective model where you get external organizers coming into pubs, try to talk to bartenders and tell them why they need to rise up, right? We, my, my kind of background in this is that um, I was working in several horrendous hospitality sites um, until I ended up working at the Ivy House, which like was so much better. Like it pays a living wage. It's a community owned pub. It's not for profit. Um, it had, unfortunately, a manager who was like not ideal. And there were several allegations of bullying against this person, allegations of racism, allegations of like homophobia and all of that. Um, and so the staff put in grievance, someone suggested a union. Um, and I don't, I think the fact that this pub is a 10 minute bus ride from Goldsmiths might be pertinent here just to bear in mind. Yeah. So people took to it, right? Um, and so we put in grievances against, uh, against this manager. He was suspended while under investigation. Um, and as a result of things that he'd said, um, while he was still under investigation, um, the pub moved to kind of stop stop employing some members of staff. Now we were on zero hours contracts at this point, like, and so they weren't being fired; they were just not being offered shifts. Mm. Now we were all in a trade union, but we didn't really know what we were doing. And so what we did was we met up, we had a union meeting, we said, "Who wants to shut the pub down?" Put our hands up; it was unanimous, and we shut it down. We had a <laughs> we had a very enthusiastic but slightly terrified, amazing organizer from the bakers union at the time who was like, you know, this is not how you legally ballot for strike action, right? <laughs> like, it's not a show of hands around a kitchen table. And we were like, fuck it. Um, and luckily, you know, we were able to trade off the fact that the pub, despite the necessary kind of antagonism within it, right, of employer and worker, is actually not an employer that we're trying to fuck us over. Like, it's a, it's a community-owned pub. Like, it's trying to do something good. Um, and that show of force was necessary. And so it was three days. And at the end of three days, we got staff reinstated. We got fixed term contracts. We got union recognition. And this is while the pub is on a living wage. And like, this was in 2018. Several years later, there is still an active union branch in the pub that continues to input on management decisions. And there's a really good relationship between staff and management because it is a strong union, right? Like when you have an issue, you don't think, fuck this, I'm going to go somewhere else. You can talk to your union who can then have an actual conversation where they represent your interests. And this is why the pub has like one of the like lowest like or one of the highest staff retention rates in the sector that I've seen right like I was saying I've been there for six years not very common but one thing that we did realize afterwards is that we didn't really know what we were doing following the strike like we didn't realize that we kind of done something almost historic like people don't take wild strike action and people don't take wildcat strike action in hospitality and after that the advice we were getting um was you know the way that we were being told to operate was as if we were working in a traditional factory floor setting. It wasn't suitable for a workplace where there were 25 members of staff, lots of whom were kind of coming and going. And so we were thinking about this. And over the next like year or two, I started volunteering with some community unionism. So Peckham needs a pay rise. It was a campaign to organize like Nando's workers, KFC workers, McDonald's workers on Rye Lane, primarily, but also more widely around South London. And that's kind of where I started to actually like see how you could actually organize in hospitality. You just couldn't do it through traditional trade union methods. And I was kind of casting around for like different ways that we could start to do something with this because it turns out where the bartenders drink, not the bars that they're working at. So we already, once I started to map it out, had quite a massive dispersed network of bartenders across South London, just based on who drank in whose pubs, right? And it was when the pandemic hit and I was involved in mutual aid organizing because obviously the government weren't doing shit that some of us had the idea that maybe we could set up some kind of equivalent mutual aid-esque bartenders network basically because trade unions won't take on 
your case if you're in dispute, basically, right? They they have to they have to conserve resources. Trade unions also generally will not prioritize small transient workspaces. It's not a great use of resources, right? Because you don't get people staying, you don't get union subs continually coming in. So the idea behind it was just to do what we've kind of called like guerrilla unionism, where mm. like we take on cases for people who are not trade union members. Um, we do what we have to do to represent them. Um, we teach them about their rights. We beg, borrow and steal until we get them solicitors if necessary. We support them through like ACAS mediation procedures. And we also occasionally have been known to twist the truth a little bit. So nothing scares the shit out of an employer like going in. For a start, if they try to fire someone and that person works in a pub and they say, I'm a union man and I have a rep. They don't know what the fuck's going on. If you then go in and are able to lay out all the ways in which they've contravened the law, which every hospitality employer has in this country, then they will be like, fuck. If you just tell them whether or not you can verify it, that you have solicitors who are willing to take them to court to get maximum compensation. It's amazing how many jobs you can actually save. And that's the kind of model that we kind of pursued. I love this. I absolutely love this. I mean, like for, for once, the sort of like vexatious legal threat uh, boot is on the other foot. <laughs> yeah. So let's just say you're listening to this podcast and you're working in Let's just say you're listening you're... to this podcast and you own yeah. a pub. Stop listening to it. <laughs> Do, forget yeah. everything you've just heard. All of these threats are credible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but let's say you listen to this podcast, you're working in a pub, and you are either you want to get organized or you are worried and you need some protection. Uh, how can someone uh, get in touch to you know get involved? So like this is... One thing I will be honest about, right? So like South London Bartenders Network started like in, what year was the pandemic? 20, well, it started in 2020. Thank you. Yes, yeah. it did. It started in 2020. Um, and so it's kind of gone through phases of being like incredibly active. And we've done some like absolutely fucking mental stuff in that time. And some phases of being less active, right? Because none of us are like paid organizers. Like we are mainly people who work in hospitality. Um but we've also been like, you know, talking to like trade unions and working with trade unions and talking to like workers as they need help. One funny thing that has happened is that someone who I will not name and is not definitely not me has forgotten the password to the social media stuff. So if you just DM me like on Twitter, I'm sure these fine folk will like tag me. You can literally just DM me and we can kind of take it from there. Um, but the idea is to basically help spread these autonomous networks. Right. And one really important thing is that like the fact that this network has like waxed and waned and waxed again, the fact that sometimes we've been organising seasonal workplaces on the South Bank and gone from having one union member to having a seasonal workplace on the South Bank giving guarantee offer of repeat fixed term contracts to its staff, right? Like we did that in, I think, like a month and a half. Like the stuff that you can do once you have the workforce on board is like absolutely incredible. But like we can only support you to do that, right? You already have the tools if you're working behind a bar to organize. You do it like all the fucking time. Mm. Um, we can support you through that, basically. Okay, well, we that uh, that Twitter at will certainly be in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, so if you don't, if you are listening to this and don't have a Twitter. So, sorry, I, sorry, so little of it makes sense. Uh, but uh, I'm Sorry, sure. you're getting fired and there's nothing we can do. If you're not on Twitter and you're listening to the show, how? Yeah. So, no, I mean, I know a great yeah. solicitor who works in a steam room. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's right. He's got an NVQ in law. Yeah. Steam so, room centered so, around a steam loom. I think that's uh, also a, a good as, play, as good a place as any to end it. So I want to say, Amar, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been an absolute delight, Angel. Thank you both. Both and all. Indeed. And thank you for listening. And don't forget, there is a Patreon. It is $5 a month. You can subscribe to it and get a second show every week. 
Uh, you also, can't unionize. That's the cost of the Patreon. <laughs> Take yeah. it or leave it. I'm actually here to unionize Trash Future. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, wait, for too long, I've been wait, oppressed by against, these unionize people. Unionize against who? Yeah. Or, are you, or are you getting like the patrons to unionize against us? Mm -hmm. In which case, <laughs> in which case, please don't do that. Every single <laughs> patron <laughs> will sue us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. There's a Patreon. There's five bucks a month. There's ten bucks if you want to get a second Britonology and Writtenology episode. Episodes where Nate and Milo talk about Britain, or Alice and I talk about books. Mm, uh, the there... two genders. That's yeah, right. that's right. Britain and books. Uh, there is also a stream. It is Monday and Thursday evenings most of the time. It runs from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. UK time. British time? Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, the theme song is Here We Go by Ginseng. Listen to it on Spotify. Milo, do you have anything? Uh, yeah, I'm on tour in general doing previews. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, we're still on tour when this comes out. Yeah, we will. This is coming out on Tuesday so morning if you're in Manchester. Manchester maybe can... there, I, maybe there will be tickets. Manchester left. is the biggest venue. So I that Glasgow it's... was the biggest venue. Uh, no, uh, Man Manchester is slightly bigger. Glasgow is the silliest size venue because Manchester is a bigger city. Mm. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh -huh. uh, look, um, come, come see yeah, us uh, in Manchester or Glasgow. Come see my life. First of June, I'm in Bath. That's on my. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, it should be fun. You know, hey, come come see that. I'm going to be in Manchester actually on the 11th of June. Uh -huh. I think the 11th. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a new show in in Manchester. There's going to be a bunch of just go on my website. There'll yeah. be tour dates. I don't know them yet. Yeah, uh, and don't forget, you have to come see us in Glasgow because we're only in the ridiculous venue we're in because we refuse to share a stage with Joanna Cherry. You're working. Yeah. You're I'm need sorry to do for booking her as the guest. <laughs> give us, give us the fruits of like winning the cancel culture fight, and please come and see us in Glasgow because I live yep. here, and I will be very sad if we don't sell out a venue where I live. That's right. Mm, that so, right. Uh, with all that being said, we will see you on the bonus in a couple of days. Bye, bye, everybody. bye, bye. bye. bye.